Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to theamishop.com. That's the A-M-A-I-Shop.com for special offers and to learn more about the Amai family. Hi, my name is Dr. Chanel Otley Allen, host of Caribbean Bird Stories. This is the first and only podcast that focuses on Caribbean women from all walks of life, narrating their journey of giving birth, navigating self-care postpartum, and parenting across the beautiful islands of the Caribbean and the diaspora. Caribbean Bird Stories has been and continues to provide a space for honest, non-judgmental conversations. Welcome to season three. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Caribbean Boot Stories. This episode is unique in that you'll get to hear from Amoy within days of her baby's arrival as we explored her fears and expectations, followed by the reality of the postpartum period, all compounded by the loss of her closest confidant. Let's have a listen. Welcome, Amoy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm now on a pad- podcast. I need to add that to my resume. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You definitely do. And um, I just want to say thank you for just also allowing me to experiment a little bit and do a little bit of before and after with this episode. Yeah. It's the first time, so we'll see how it goes, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about um, the... I guess the prenatal antenatal period, all right? But now I want you to describe for me your delivery. So how did you feel that morning? Oh my <laughs> gosh. So the delivery actually went as planned. Um, I was scheduled to have a uh, C-section, which I spoke about in the previous episode. And yes. it went as planned. It was scheduled for 1 p.m. I wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to have anything to eat the night before. And so, you know, we followed uh, the, the protocol. And by the time I got to the hospital at 10 a.m., I was starving. I'm just, <laughs> nobody talked to me. I just want to get this child out. The yes. pressure was real. It was also real. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, the staff was running very late. And oh. they were understaffed because of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. At that point in time, I delivered in August. And at that point in time, the hospital had already seen over 200 births. So they were not oh, wow. in any rush to get me into the room. Yes, yes. Anywho, so eventually I get in, we have an assessment, just a mini assessment, just to test where the baby is and the mm-hmm. heart rate and everything. And at this point in time, I'm just like, it's either I'm going to be um, knocked out and fall asleep or I'll just pass out because I'm so hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, prior to going into the OR, um, I met with the anesthesiologist who is from Tobago, a Tobago oh, okay. man. Yes. yes. He was also a researcher and he wanted to get me into a research study. I'm just like, listen, I'm all for research, but I am focused on getting this child out of my body. Okay. Right so now. No research questions right now. <laughs> Anyways, but he was really, really nice because he explained the whole procedure of um, epidural and a spinal tap, which I needed. And mm-hmm. it really helped to calm my fears. And he actually help the doctor set up some soca music because I requested soca in the OR. Okay, okay, yeah. good for you, good so for you. With my playlist, I'm just like, listen, as you're doing the spinal tap, just play a little soca for me, please. And we'll be good to go. He's just like, oh, you're from Trinidad? I'm just like, no, I'm Jamaican, but Trinidad is 
in my bones, okay? Yes, so yes. Me, I am red and black. <laughs> <laughs> so he set that up for me. And um, yeah, we were we were rolling. I got introduced to the, the nursing staff, my surgeon, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I wasn't prepared for, the spinal tap went by fine. I had no issues with that. But what I was not prepared for was the pressure that came after the procedure started. So mm. no one told me about this excessive pressure as they're pulling the baby out. Right. To the point where I'm like, what is going on? And he's just mm-hmm. like, oh, you'll just feel a bit of pressure. And my husband actually has this on recording. I'm like, there is a difference between a bit and feeling like 10 nurses are on my belly tap down. Right. Okay. So that's what you felt, that type so of So that type of pressure, like this deep, consistent pressure of them just kind of pushing trying to get him out and but not pain no i didn't feel any pain i couldn't feel any pain um because of the spinal tap right okay yeah so it was just the pressure that just kind of took your breath away like i couldn't even speak because my husband patrick was asking are you okay i'm like just trying to stay alive (laughs) get this child out so tell me then, how was it meeting baby Luke? Oh my gosh, baby Luke. So there was a little bit of a delay simply because, again, we're in the OR. They have it screened off. Um, they allowed my husband to bring in a camera so he could be the first one to capture that moment of when the baby yes. comes out. So he sees the baby and I hear him like, oh my gosh, look at him. I'm like, I can't see him. I'm right here <laughs> with my arms spread out. Okay. So... Um, they give the baby to him and then they had mm-hmm. to wipe him down. So there were a few minutes before I could actually see him. And I didn't hear him cry. I'm just like, Lord have mercy. So I go through all of this. I'm not child yet. Anyways, <laughs> the nurse wipes the baby down, brings the baby back, and he's all wrapped up and bundled. And he has Aww. the biggest, cutest pink lips and Pat puts it beside me. And I'm like, I just honestly, my initial reaction was relief. I'm like, he's yes. here he is here i'm just so relieved that he's healthy and Mm -hmm. that my body was actually able to do this because for so long i just felt as though this was not going to happen like parenthood motherhood was not going to be my journey but to see him you know all squished up and like oh it was just (laughs) just took my breath away just relief and joy yes yes oh my gosh i can't even (laughs) imagine um and do you feel like um your experience of giving birth has changed who you are as a person? Uh, Yes. I mean, I don't think it, it could be anything different, you know, giving birth is, it's a transformational experience, you Mm -hmm. know, and as I mentioned for so long, I didn't think my body was capable because of the fibroids and endometriosis. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm probably on a different path to motherhood. That's not going to look like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so, um, for me, in that moment of seeing my son, I just felt like my body is capable of anything, even though it's not, you know, uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the conventional means of, you know, giving right. birth or mm-hmm. um, getting pregnant, per se. Um, yes. I just felt like, you know, I, I've overcome so much that I'm able to birth this beautiful little boy. And of course. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't want to say I felt like a superwoman, but I just felt like, you know, all the fears of my body can't just shift right. it. My, and I just thought, yes, it, it's more than it's possible. possible. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and then with respect to the postpartum period now, 
the realities of the postpartum period. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh my gosh. Any challenges you didn't foresee? Oh, of course. Of course. Um, Let's talk about the challenges. So the first thing, like nobody talks to you about the sleep deprivation that literally I feel could have just taken me out. I'm like, if someone wanted to kill me, just tell me. You're not going to sleep a moi for seven straight weeks, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as much as you can read about the fact that you, you're going to have sleepless nights, which the hospital did provide us with some pamphlets around sleepless nights, but it was nothing in comparison to what I experienced. Right. Or what you could even envision. Yeah. Because you envision not sleeping, but no one is going to try and put themselves in a torture position <laughs> of you're not going to sleep for seven weeks straight. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You can think of maybe, you know, in, in college, you pulled a couple all nighters, but it's nothing compared to that because you can decide to go to bed whenever you want. Correct. But during the postpartum period, um, my son was getting acquainted with a bassinet, which he didn't sleep in the bassinet. We went through four types of bassinets and he would wake up every 15 minutes. Like mm. once we started the bedtime routine, which I mean, infants, newborns don't know about a routine, but we tried. Right. Um, he would get up every 15 minutes and I'm oh exhausted gosh. from the day. So, yes. you know, you're just not sleeping. It's just like this, um, this tease of, oh, you're, you're going to try to go to sleep and get into REM sleep. And then, oh, he's crying again yes. <laughs> and put him down. And he looks like he's in beautiful sleep. He's snoring mm-hmm. and his arms are back and yeah. he's up again. Like you didn't feed me. <sighs> so that, that took a toll on me so much. So like in as the the day would progress into the evenings, my body would just go into tremor because I couldn't anticipate what type of evening I was going to have and if I actually yes. had the fuel to go through another sleepless night. And as much as people are telling me, oh, they're going to grow out of it, you know, one day he's just going to sleep through the night. I'm like, when is that day coming? Is it tomorrow? Because I am done. 12, 11, 59 p.m. I am done. Yes. <laughs> oh gosh, I I honestly believe that that is the, I mean, the most difficult part about the newborn phase, just yeah. that sleep deprivation. Oh, yeah. seriously is torture. Yeah. Um, and then with respect to him and your, and your bonding and the breastfeeding, I remember that you had some challenges. So tell me more yes. about that. Yes. So initially when I met him on that day, August of 2021, he was always a very good breast crawler ruder like he latched onto the breast very very well and so because i didn't have a reference point i figured oh everything's fine and he Mm -hmm. fed very well in the hospital so there was no issues there but as the days progressed into weeks the the latching became a lot tighter and as much as i watched all the breastfeeding videos i'm like oh it's his latch is fine Mm -hmm. um it it got more and more painful and so i didn't really know you know if if this was normal I just normal. Figured, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's a tight latch but he's getting milk and it just became more and more painful so much so I would you know kind of cringe uh when I would feed him and mm-hmm. he would cry and I just figured oh he's probably just hungry so I'd feed him longer and it wasn't until I went to see um my naturopath for his first mm-hmm. visit she did her initial assessment and she's just like oh he's got a tongue tie and a lip tie and I'm like what in the world is this Right. So for the audience, please tell us what that yes, is. Yeah. Yes. So a, a tongue tie um, is basically if you were to pull down your, actually, let me do the lip tie because it's easier to explain. Um, mm-hmm. If you were to pull down the uh, bottom lip, mm-hmm. at the, the base, you have a bit of tissue there that attaches onto the gums. 
Yes. And um, what happens with a tongue tie is that the tissue is very tight or what we say in medical terms, taut, so that it doesn't allow this nice flow of of the lip because what has to happen is that there has to be a nice um, flow and tightening of the lip. And it's Mm -hmm. the same thing with the tongue. So under the tongue, the tissue is quite, quite stiff. Yeah. It doesn't allow for this nice kind of smooth floating motion of the tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, and what tends to happen is that the, the latch is tighter. And because mm-hmm. there's not that flow, um, the baby can't suck as much milk. So they tend to feed longer and the, mm-hmm. the quite can be quite painful for the mother. Yes, for the so mother. That, yeah. So that's basically what was happening um, is that. And then what happens as a result of that is that your body registers that the baby isn't getting enough milk. Mm-hmm. And even though they're feeding more frequent, the milk isn't as, it's not a good flow. Right. So it turns out the reason why I was feeding him so much is that he wasn't getting enough and I wasn't aware. So it wasn't mm-hmm. until I saw my naturopath, she's just like, you know, you need to get these released. I went to a, a dental, uh, a dentist who specializes um, in uh, infants and tongue tie releases and mm-hmm. got it released. And it was like night and day. Like wow. who's experiencing like a child with a tongue tie, lip tie, get it released. Like I had my reservations because I'm like, what is all of this, this procedure? Um, the, the dentist I use used a laser procedure, which was good. Um, Luke was fine with it. Right. And how old was Luke at this point in time? So Luke was, I want to say he was probably about 10 weeks. So he was right. quite young. Young. He was, mm-hmm. he was quite young. So I, I, again, I know, you know, there's some mothers that are reserved about what this procedure is, but there's lots of technology around it. There's some doctors that use like a scissors and there's some that use a laser. With mm-hmm. the laser, the procedure was done in under 10 minutes. Right. And the recovery time was two weeks and it was fine. There was no complications. But what it allowed for was a better feed and less painful for me. And I could actually feed longer and produce more milk. Because another thing too I didn't mention was that I wasn't able to, um, uh, what's it called? Um to pump express Mm -hmm. i wasn't able to express because i was in so much pain yeah my body just registered that as okay it's too painful less milk yeah so now that i was able to yeah now that he had the tongue tie i was able to pump more and that was that was fine now for this is a very important point because i think a lot of times women really try their hardest to breastfeed and it's just mm-hmm. so painful. Yeah. Um, and they don't know why. You know, they yeah. think, you know, we think uh, the latch is good. The positioning is great. But it's just, it's just still so painful. And then we're told that breastfeeding isn't supposed to be painful. Right. So there's that, you know, um, this, we, we, you know, we just don't know what to do next. Exactly. Um and then I would assume if he was 10 months when he had it released, 10 weeks, sorry, when he had it released, it meant that he would have seen a pediatrician prior to yeah. all of this happening. Yeah. And is it that it wasn't picked up on or was it not, you know, given as an option for why this experience was so painful for you? Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, so he he sees um, a family physician who specializes in, in kids and they at the time said, you know, they don't suspect that it's a tongue tie and I should just continue doing what I'm doing. Like, you know, I'm doing the best that I can. But right. to be quite honest, they didn't do a formal assessment. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, for mothers out there who may bring up that breastfeeding is painful and your doctor doesn't actually do an assessment in the mouth and around the lip, 
they don't necessarily know how to assess for a tongue tie and a lip tie. And there's right. some physicians that don't believe in it. So I think, you know, for me, that's that's what happened. My, my doctor at the time didn't look for a tongue mm-hmm. tie or lip tie. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what, what to look for. for right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's just unfortunate that that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. But at least now with this knowledge, someone listening, so a yeah. mother who's recently had, or maybe an expectant mother, can now look out for it and say, yeah. maybe bring it to the attention of their pediatrician or the OBGYN or whoever it is they're seeing in that six-week checkup and say, listen, yeah. this is what's happening what can we what can we do because there's this discrepancy between how much pain i'm feeling and you know what they say i should be feeling so i think yeah. that's really important and i also you know just to add i also think it's important to give descriptors around what pain is is expected mm-hmm. because once he had the tongue tie like of course my nipples were sore but they were more sore um around the the, the nipple and right um, there wasn't like this piercing pain around the nipple. So it's it's fine to be sore around the nipples, obviously, if you're feeding like six to 10 times in a day. Mm-hmm. But this kind of piercing soreness where it's red and like I didn't experience any kind of breakage of the skin, but, you know, th- there are certain types of, of pain that's reasonable and there's other types that are just unreasonable. Correct. Yeah. So being able to differentiate between that and not just accepting pain as pain, as exactly. part of the course, right, I think is the key takeaway message from that experience. So thank you for sharing that. But so do you feel like you are fully recovered now from giving birth? It's oh, how old is Luke now at this so recording? Luke, Luke is six months. Luke oh. is six months. Yes, he is six months and growing and talking and already <laughs> said his first word. He said data and I'm like, he did? Oh, he did. He looked straight at my husband. He's just like, data. Dada. I'm like, really? Oh Who's my goodness. Right. But we're working on it. I'm planting the seeds. I'm Please. The seeds. So, <laughs> we'll work on it. so yeah, so things. tell me about you. Do you feel recovered now? And if you know not, what? why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a good question. I do actually feel recovered. And I, I have to say, with all the stuff that my body has been through with the fibroids and endo. God smiled on me during the postpartum period. I have to say, um, I'm truly blessed in that way because in the first two weeks, I was actually able to go for walks. Like going for walks is part of my mental health and wellness. Yes. So I was able to go for walks and my, my OB was like, wow, that's that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I felt energized enough because that was one thing she was concerned about considering that I had um, two myomectomies. She was concerned about my energy level and pain right. postpartum and I didn't experience mm-hmm. that. So I have to say that that was that was good. Um, yeah, I have a lot of pain. Um, my core was actually working well enough where I could actually get in and out of bed, and you know, doing a simple things like going up and down the stairs. That was fine. Right. Um, and even, you know, I know a lot of women are con- or people are concerned about losing baby weight, and I didn't have any issues with that. So again, I have to say that I've been tremendously blessed from from a physical standpoint like i didn't mm-hmm. experience a lot of physical ailment in the right. postpartum period aside from the trauma of the sleep deprivation <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah now i mean on a more somber topic yeah um you did lose your mom just before giving birth yeah. um how has that impacted you the impacted you during this transition 
Yeah, it's been, I feel like I occupy two realities that are conflicting. You know, the, the first reality is that I exp- I've experienced since the birth of my son, tremendous joy, like joy beyond I can describe. Um, but I've also, and I continue to experience tremendous grief because, mm-hmm. you know, having a child is something my mom and I spoke about daily, right? And yeah. Um, considering the challenges that I've gone through, this is something that she was looking so forward to, you know, being a grandmother and what would that mean for her and, you know, all the plans that we had for the baby and getting the baby ready and all this. And so it's just tremendous grief and just mm-hmm. still like disorientation in terms of who am I now, mm-hmm. I'm now a mother without my mother here. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, I guess relearning how to navigate the world without my mom here. And it's some days are just scary because I just I just don't know what's going to happen, you know, because my mom was permanent. She was my constant confidant, as you said, you know, my best friend. And, you know, everything was kind of set and stable and, you know, safe and secure with her here. And now she's not here and the world's kind of turned upside down. And so, yeah, I'm still just trying to navigate this this new orientation that I'm in. And is there anything specifically that you've done to help you through this process? Yeah, I think there are a few things. Um, you know, it's 2021 was a tumultuous year, um, you know, losing my mom and, you know, giving birth and all that. And after everything, after the birth of my son, I, I saw a grief counselor, which was really good because it just kind of helped to set things in terms of just try, me trying to understand what I was going through, give give my grief a language and a name, and just understand how to process this this period. Um, so yes. that was one specific thing. And then I have a few close family members that have lost their mothers, um, so relying on them and their wisdom have has also been quite helpful um, mm-hmm. as well. So those two things have definitely been uh, a tremendous help. Right. And um, so if you could go back to your younger self, you know, going through your trials and tribulations, um, like you said, with your fibroids and endo and infertility, now in the place that you are right now, if you can look back and tell Amoy back then something what would it be given that they say hindsight is 2020 yeah <laughs> yeah what 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 would you tell yourself i would tell my younger self to hold on to your dreams hold on to it dearly because there were moments where i would just get so overwhelmed by the circumstances that I was going through, whether it was a a new diagnosis or an ongoing diagnosis or the pain or just um, everything and just kind of let go of what I had come to know as my um, deserving promise of becoming a mother one day and just figuring, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not for me. I will just focus on something else. I would tell her to just hold on to that dream and that promise. Hold on to it dearly because it's it's important. Nothing else is important, but this is important. Yes, yes. And to someone, so maybe like a family member of someone who is struggling with infertility right now, what's the 
what would you have liked to have heard during that period of time from and not necessarily from your mom because i mean you have a real you had a really good relationship with her but from other people so maybe close friends or other family members what would you have liked to have heard from them to help you through that difficult period in your in your life that's of infertility i think just the recognition that i am whole without this new uh, attachment or um orientation of being a mother uh, i think we reduce especially women down to this one role of you know you need to be wife and mother and if you're not those things then you're, you're really nothing mm-hmm. um so getting that validation from you know whether it's a friend or a family to say that you're a whole and you're complete in in the state that you're currently in yeah. uh, would have definitely helped to ease some of the pressure because even though it may not be said you know there, there are questions that are asked right and mm-hmm. you do such a good job of, of bringing this up in your podcast where Thank oh you. you don't have children oh um you know uh, oh do you plan to get married like th- these assumptions are made and it's mm-hmm. it's, it's usually the the sigh and the oh and the the, the disappointment oh, yes. say that you, you're not and people don't realize that behind the scenes you're you're trying to make the world turn right so mm-hmm. even though people would see myself and my husband around oh you've been married for so long i know children like like we have a healthy marriage we have a healthy relationship we have other things that we're accomplishing and it just wouldn't necessarily amount to the same level because we didn't have right? exactly and so i think I, if i if i had the opportunity to hear that from other people it would have just helped to ease some of the pressure that I was feeling from the outside world, um, yeah. let alone from my own internal pressure that was going on. Right. Yes. And um, so now that you have baby Luke and, <laughs> you know, he has just brought so much joy, not just to your life and, you know, the, your um, Patrick's life, but to our lives as friends um just to see you just light up even more <laughs> and um you know everybody else around you what w- how do you feel now that you're a mother has it sunk in i don't think it has fully sunk in maybe i'm waiting to hear him say mama i, I don't know even though he, <laughs> i can see in his eyes he he's adoring of me and mm-hmm. some days i wake up i'm just like wow this child is really mine like you're not you're not babysitting like, no, you're not babysitting. Oh, I'm still. It's just, I just have to sit in that reality sometimes and just take it all in. Sometimes it's hard to take it all in, but there are moments where I'm either feeding him or we're playing and he'll look me straight in the eye. I'm just like, wow, you're real. Like, I actually imagined you in my head. I wrote mm-hmm. your name down so many mm-hmm. times for 10 years and now mm-hmm. you're here. Like, there's just been so many moments of reality. Like, the first time I got his health card, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have a health card to the person, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, there's just, I don't know, there's just no one word to describe the moment of meeting him that you asked earlier or the moments that I have with him. I'm like, it's an absolute miracle that he's actually mm-hmm. here. Like, I can touch and feel him. He's not yes. just, you know, a thought in my mind or just a prayer now. Like, he's actually a real person that will go on to have dreams and aspirations and do his own thing. Like, Mm -hmm. mom, you're bothering me. Like, (laughs) I know my life kind of thing. Don't kiss me. (laughs) Don't kiss me. So I'm giving him all the kisses now, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's, it's some days it's unreal, 
Mm-hmm. So I have to really discipline myself to sit in the moment and take it in that, yes, I'm a mother now, right? Right. So I remember from our chat before you gave birth, yes. I said to you, one of the things that I learned was, you know, recognizing that Adrian, my husband, was the father and he needed to be a father and yes. not try and be the mother and take over yes. everything, right? How has that been with you and Patrick and, oh <laughs> and the whole parenting, you know, as a primary caregiver, as I like yes. to say? <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm I'm trying to filter my answers so that we still have a good relationship after this. No, no, no. Patrick has been and continues to be a, a wonderful and tender father. Like seeing him go through that transformation has been mm-hmm. just awe inspiring because he is so gentle with, with Luke. Um but yeah, there have been in the early moments I would say, and I, I swear it's the hormones, I swear. I I could have been a mama lion. I, I could have, <laughs> could have, perhaps. And so there were moments where I'm just like, no, you're not doing that. No, you're not touching him like that. No, you're not holding him like that. No, 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 right. no. It was just yes. this, you know, protective. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm sleep deprived. So, you know, it's all, it's that whole cocktail mix of lack of sleep and, and hormones yes. fluttering about. But, exactly. you know, I realized as I was going through and just completely exhausted, I'm just like, you know what? We are on this journey together. We're mm-hmm. parents together. We're colleagues together. Like we didn't, I didn't enter into this, like wanting to be a mother on my own. And so right. I need to, I need to create space for us to do that together. Yeah. And so even though I'm the primary caregiver, it doesn't mean that I know everything. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. There's some days it's like trial and error. I'm just like, oh, that didn't work. Oh, you sped up. Oh, you don't like that. Okay, let's try something else. Next, yes. And so I had to create that space so that we can both make mistakes and we can both learn and we're both still learning. And, you know, my husband is really good at validating me and honoring me. And I said, you know, I really need to transfer that energy onto him because he is, doing the best job that he knows how, right? Yes, exactly. So, oh, that's just remarkable. Well, thank you. I'm glad I'm glad you're able to like, you know, share some of the responsibilities. You know, yeah. even if it took a couple of days or maybe weeks to get there. Yeah, it's but... an ongoing journey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like I like to do with all my guests, I would really, really love for you to share with us a song that really um transcends the whole journey you oh know my God. you get you know your trials before the birth and then the postpartum period and motherhood in general is there such a song Amoy? i know a song to capture it all well i actually have two songs so okay. my first song is um by leland it's called waymaker promise keeper a miracle worker um, oh yes god, yes god is all these things mm-hmm. and the first time i heard this i was at um kinesa fellowship churches where i go and i just i was in tears because oh, for yeah. so long i just couldn't relate to god in that way of him being a promise keeper because i've been praying for this for so long and yes. i believe that it was a promise to me but where's the promise right yes um I'm just like, where is the way? I'm trying to figure out a way to get this going and I can't see a way out of this. Where is the miracle? Where is the promise? Where is the way? And when I heard that song, I'm like, I need to make the song my anthem. So whenever I hear that song, I'm like, yes, Jesus is my promise Mm -hmm. keeper, way maker, miracle worker, everything. Um, Because that's that's exactly what happened, you know, uh, during during this journey. 
And then my pump up song is um, Ready for the Road by Buzzy Dirt. <laughs> Ready for the Road. Ready for the Road. Of course. Of course. Of course. You know, I need a soca jam. You need to have a soca jam. I need to have a soca jam. When when I hear that song, I just feel like I can conquer anything. I'm ready for the road, ready to do it, ready to get Mm -hmm. on with it. And mind you, to my listeners, Amoy has never played Carnival ever. Right? But she's like the most dedicated (laughs) soca aficionado out there. (laughs) Right? So. I mean, God alone knows if she ever experienced a carnival, what she will do. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I, I will lose my mind. I will lose my mind. There, there's not enough feathers in <laughs> There's not enough feathers in the Savannah to hold me down. Uh, I think if they put the costume on me, I'll just fly away. Like, God. Me and Bunchy, we got. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> oh gosh, Amoy, as usual, it's a pleasure. And, you know, thank you so much for taking a chance with me on this journey and yes, being a part of Caribbean Booth Stories. Um, I I'm, I wouldn't have any other person um, on this to share their before and after because I just know just the meaning and the power in this experience for you and just for the rest of us. I know that. I think when you, when you told us that you were expecting Every single one of us had the same response. God is great. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it is the ultimate miracle yeah. that we have we have experienced. And um and I'm so happy that everything is going well. He is healthy yeah. and you're you know, figuring it out because God alone knows it's yeah. a lot of figuring out to go. You know, yeah. you figure out newborn and then he's six months and then he's yeah. a year and then he's two and yeah. you're like terrible twos. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, just thank you for everything and being so open and honest with us. And I can wish you continued blessings and an abundance of success. I know you have a very important study happening and I just want you to just share with our audience a little bit about your study because I think this is just so so important for our community. Yeah definitely so I am in partnership with Women's College Hospital and a few community health centers and a few other hospitals um, that focus on gynecological care within Canada so Mm -hmm. it's called the Womb Health Study and it's a community-based qualitative research study that is looking to explore the experiences that Black gender diverse people have with endometriosis and uterine fibroids within Canada. And the reason why this is important is because a lot of the data that we use is currently from the United States. And as much as that has helped us to get this far in the work, it's not complete in that our healthcare systems and geopolitical systems are very, very different. And our experiences here as Black people are very unique. We have a very different Black population. And so um, that makes our experience um, and our journey within the healthcare system very different um, and challenging at times. And so we need to understand what those experiences are, what those barriers are, so that we can have specific population level interventions for the ones that are experiencing greater numbers, higher rates of these uh, very chronic and common reproductive illnesses. So the goal, we're hoping that we can create a new model of care once we wrap up with the data uh, Mm -hmm. to ensure that health outcomes are better, right? So we're looking at um, from maternity, 
pregnancy outcomes can be better, um, pain management levels can be better, um, fertility rates can be better. Um, and if we have early management, then all of those rates we are hoping will improve. Right. I mean, just groundbreaking research that it just needs to be done. And I, yeah, and I applaud you for being that person. And I remember you've been walking this journey for a while um, and you deserve this, Amoy. You really, really deserve this. And I really hope that the results, uh, <clears throat> the significant that, they make change because yeah. I feel like, you know, we do a lot of research, but sometimes it's not really taken on or taken seriously. Um, however, I feel like this study, because of the population that you're using, it's just so important and policy must change yeah. from it. Yeah. So um, you have my full support and I hope that our listeners also stay tuned. I constantly share stuff from the womb care platform and you can follow on womb care clinic i believe yes. is they what's the so, so there's the clinic and then there's the study so you can follow a womb care clinic for sure and right you can also follow the study womb health study on instagram so you can follow there you go. perfect perfect all right so before i take up any more of your time because i know you have to get back to baby luke yes. um thank you again and this is wonderful. And I maybe look forward to talking to you after the study because yes. that would be a really good episode. Yes. Yeah, that would be great to share the data. Yes, to share the data and yeah. just, you know, how can we help? Because I'm dying to help in some way. So, yeah, all right, we'll have a great one. Yes. Okay, okay. bye. Right. Bye. Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to theamaishop.com, that's the A-M-A-I shop.com, for special offers and to learn more about the Amai family. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd be grateful if you could leave a review about what you're loving on this podcast and be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. 